Welcome to episode 34. We're talking about the brain today. As goal-oriented individuals, we want to be able to put in long-term output for maximum results. And to do that, we need our brain to be in tip-top shape. It has this amazing ability to rewire itself, reorganize itself through experiences, through new things that we face every day. And researchers like my guest, Toby Passman, can harness this uh, ability to reorganize systems in the brain called neuroplasticity. Toby uses neurofeedback, basically has technologies that can stimulate the brain in certain ways and figure out what's super active and figure out what's not that active and target those things in a very safe and guided clinical manner. So we're going to talk about brain training. We're going to talk about how important that is just as much as your physical body when you go to the gym. We're also going to talk about a brief history of neurotherapy and when I say neurotherapy, it's synonymous with neurofeedback. We're also going to talk about electrical stimulation of the brain versus the muscles, and there's an interesting portion of our conversation where we compare those two. Ultimately, this was another great conversation, and I know that I learned a lot about how to keep my brain healthy, and you will as well. So I hope you enjoy the episode. To accomplish the goals of just continuing to harness that, that brain's ability to heal itself and, and all of those things you mentioned, how would you say you, you put in repeated time and effort to, to attain that goal in your daily life? Yeah. So I would say in, in terms of with, with the technology, I, so I both mm -hmm. work with the technology with people, but I also use it for myself. And I find that it's something that I use on a daily basis. Um, a lot of these different technologies and as uh, you know, as I've gotten kind of more, more and more accustomed to, to using it, I find found that the benefits just amplify. And it's something, you know, similar to, to, to physical exercise, where it's just, you know, the more you kind of make brain training a part of your routine, uh, the more, you know, you, it just becomes kind of a normal, a normal part of your daily life. So where I'm, you know, putting red light lasers in, in my nose and putting weird devices on my head that might uh, seem pretty bizarre to a lot of people listening, but, you know, I put in, put in, you know, the, the, uh, the work, you know, that, that it's just uh, at this point, just kind of part of my daily, what I do and what I, what I work with for other people to do, but, you know, the brain it's, there's, there's a concept in neuroscience uh, that, that basically goes like, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together, and it, kind of goes along with sort of the use it or lose it sort of phenomena where, you know, if you exercise these, these neural pathways and really kind of train them uh, as much as you can on a daily basis, if possible, you're going to, you're going to achieve the, the best results. And people that don't do that, they don't train uh, their brain in the simplest terms, they can become subject to entropy or, or things going wrong in the brain. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not an overnight thing, you know, mm -hmm. but definitely neurodegenerative conditions, you know, that, that start taking place when people get into their, you know, even late fifties, sixties, seventies, you know, they, they attribute a lot of that oftentimes to, you know, a lack of kind of activating the brain 
in, in earlier life. So like, you know, they found things like, you know, just doing like crosswords or, you know, different kind of brain games to keep your, your brain, you know, uh, in, in good shape while you're young actually will kind of stave off things like dementia and Alzheimer's as you get older. So it, it definitely, there definitely is a bit of, uh, you, you could use the word sort of atrophy, um, but it's, it's a very slow, prolonged process. I would say that definitely takes several decades. Individuals can still do things like crosswords or um, something that I'm, uh, I forget what it's called, but my father has used an app before where it's just kind of like a daily puzzle or daily something where, you know, he, he's in his 60s, so he can work on doing those things to keep himself sharp. Like it definitely, the effects or the benefits are a lot slower if you're already in an older or an elder stage of your life versus if you're younger, would you say? Yeah. So what we know with neuroplasticity is, is our brains are most plastic at a young age. So in childhood, what, while we're, our brain is developing, it's extremely plastic. Uh, and then as we get older, they used to think that our brains kind of fully, you know, matured and fully developed, you know, say when we got to adulthood and then researchers used to think that our brains were, were kind of just fixed, you know, uh, where they were. When, when we finished, you know, kind of developing. But what we now know is that neuroplasticity and specifically uh, neurogenesis, which is the, the creation, the brain's ability to create new brain cells and make new connections amongst those cells in specific areas of the brain. That's a process that actually takes place throughout our entire lifespan till the day that we die. But it is something that, that gradually decreases as we age. So it's kind of like, as, as we get older, it's important to find more and more things to, to promote this process of neuroplasticity. So, you know, we're able to still keep our brains, you know, in, in good shape. And would you say that's with these technologies and, you know, neurotherapy and some of the work that you do help promote that neurogenesis? Yeah, no, there's studies that definitely indicate specifically one of the, one of the technologies I'm thinking of, um, neurostimulation that I work with. Uh, there's, there's studies that that directly does stimulate, uh, stimulate neurogenesis by increasing what's called uh, BDNF, uh, which is called brain derived neurotrophic factor. And there's a neuroscientist, uh, I believe, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, I believe it was john Daly who said, uh, who, who kind of coined that uh, BDNF is sort of like miracle grow for the brain in the sense that it, it just helps kind of create all these new, new brain cells, new connections, all these, uh, all these things start sprouting. So that's definitely a big way that, that some of these technologies work for sure. Mainly the, the work that you do in substance abuse and, and um, mental, do you kind of work with other mental health um, conditions that people have as well, or is it mainly peak performance and like people who want to kind of improve their, the power of their brain. Yeah. So I, I was working at a substance abuse facility. It was, it was both substance abuse along with mental health. So using these technologies to treat, you know, various forms of drug and alcohol addiction, along with like a lot of comorbid psychiatric conditions, depression, anxiety, you know, PTSD, 
a lot of conditions that are kind of driving people to, you know, use and abuse uh, substances. But I've sort of transitioned now uh, with my own company, we're strictly peak performance or wellness focused. So I'm not a licensed psychologist, therefore I can't claim to be treating any specific uh, psychiatric or neurological disorders with this technology, even though that there is plenty of research that shows, you know, that this technology does do exactly that in terms of have efficacy for, for a variety of psychiatric and neurological conditions. But, you know, it's, it's just a bit of difference in terms of the terminology. So in working, say, you know, I'm working now with clients instead of with patients and instead of treating their depression, we're boosting their mood instead of, you know, working on treating anxiety where we're alleviating stress. So it's, it's, it's just very subtle kind of uh, distinctions in the language that we have to use, but yeah, I'm, I'm more so transitioned to using these technologies in that peak performance setting, which is a bit kind of uh, rarer, you know, w- w- for the listeners, you know, if, if anyone has heard of neurofeedback before or done it themselves, it's probably been, you know, at a local psychologist or psychiatrist's office, you know, um, a licensed uh, professional. But I think we're going to see, you know, I think over the next decade, these technologies are going to, their, their usage is going to transition more into the, the peak performance and wellness space. Mm-hmm. So the same people, you know, that go, that go to your high-end uh, yoga studios and cryotherapy and shop at Whole Foods. You know, I think those are the type of people who are going to be, you know, super interested in enhancing their cognition with, with these different kind of technologies. And along with those people, who are some other kinds of people that, that you see as your clients? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say various different professionals, students, um, Really, yeah, whoever, people who are looking to, to kind of gain an edge in whatever aspect uh, that they're looking, you know, usually kind of high achievers, peak performance people, uh, you know, you kind of typical driven, motivated personality, uh, I would say, yeah, uh, you know, people, the same people who, who are, you know, really focused on what they eat and what supplements they take those are the type of people who, who tend to really uh, pay attention to this, this kind of work and, and are you know, wanting to know what are my brainwaves doing? How do I regulate these electrical activity of the brain, you know, with these different technologies? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It's kind of like, how do I, how do I optimize this, this muscle suit that I'm in, you know, like, like instead of just going through life, beating it up, how can I, make it better and improve all aspects exactly if people aren't like that you know we, we kind of want to help them get to that point because like you know you know all the benefits and you know from your experience how much it's helped people so i assume you want to kind of grow your your reach in that yeah i mean but at the same time it's like people people they're they're you know in the same way that you know if someone is not really that committed to you know, improving their physical health and Mm -hmm. they're just kind of, you know, go to the gym, you know, every other week and, you know, they're, they're making excuses to not go and, you know, or they don't really push themselves. You know, it's, it's kind of that same, you know, attitude is a big thing. I think 
when it comes to, you know, this sort of neurotherapy and using, using these different neurotechnologies too, where I've had, you know, some people ask me before, you know, uh, you know, oh, you know what I, I don't, they say, you know, I don't need this, you know, I don't, I, my brain's not that messed up. I don't think I need this. And I, I tell them you're absolutely right. You do not need this. You do not need to use any of these technologies to, you know, to stay alive, to, to live your life, but they can greatly enhance your cognition, which can improve all these different facets of your life. If you're willing to, to put the time and, and work into doing it. So, so I think there's, there's definitely, I, I definitely like working with people who are as interested and motivated in, in changing their own brain, you know, where, where I don't have to kind of sell it to them. They're already, they're already sold. Before we kind of dive into these technologies and kind of a little bit of the history and what, what some of them do, I notice you very highly or uh, use your podcast to kind of supplement, I guess, alongside your business, like you, like on your website, if you want, if, if, uh, if people are reading something on the, on the Roscoe's neuro, uh, website and you have a podcast episode to, to lead them to. So how do you feel like you use your podcast to fuel your business or, uh, or like I said, to supplement it, if, if that's your intention at all? Yeah, no, that's, that's an awesome uh, question, Greg. I'd say that it, it actually was, it started in the reverse order in the sense that I, I began the podcast. I began podcasting in, uh, in 2019 before I even had this idea of doing this business. So it didn't at all start out related to the business at all. I was just doing it kind of as a hobby, you know, to expand my, my own understanding of, of neuroscience and psychology and, nutrition, all these different um, subjects of, of people that, you know, uh, experts that I'm interviewing on the podcast. So when I did have the business idea, so I already had this podcast, which I call Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. So I decided to just remove the podcast and Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro is now just the name of the business. So it kind of would make more sense if I had done it in the reverse order, if I had the business and then was like, okay, you know, I'm going to start a podcast for my business. It's going to be the Roscoe's wetsuit neuro podcast, but you know, it actually ended up working out in the reverse order. So yeah. Um, At least but, now you are, you already had, you probably already had a following from your podcast. So like that grew more people to your business when you decided to make the exactly. Transition. And I actually, uh, this was something I read in, in sort of a, a book about monetizing your podcast. And they were talking about how nowadays your podcast is to your business, what a business card used to be to your business in the sense, what they meant by that is that like a business card isn't directly going to like necessarily get you a lot of money or, you know, sell a bunch of stuff, but it's the gateway to doing so. So in the same way, you know, maybe the top 1% of podcasts or something, you know, are, are generating a lot of money, but you don't necessarily have to make the money directly from the podcast. If you're, if you've got a listener base, you know, say a, just a core following people who, who support what you do, who, who trust you as an authority figure in whatever subject that you're speaking on, then you can transition those people into, you know, customers or clients. So 
that that one of those reading one of those books kind of helped helped me kind of make start making some of those connections in my own brain do you happen to remember the title of that book i don't sure i can look it up i don't it was okay. yeah it was, it was one of the books on on monetizing podcasts um, that sounds so actually, interesting i believe it profit from your podcast i believe is what it was okay. called that's what I feel like I would like to do with this, but I'm sure like, just like you said, when you first started, it's, it's, it was just a hobby and you, you know, kind of, as you went on, you began, began to probably see what the potential where it was as you started to read it, into it more and stuff. And so that's kind of what I would like to do with mine. And I just think that's great. Um, I like that idea of how it's almost like a business card or it's like, it's kind of like marketing for yourself, but growing that credibility just from people seeing the way that you can learn and, and converse about things. So that's great. Exactly. So you mentioned that there was a time when researchers were just thinking like, when we get to a certain age, like that's it, our brain uh, just doesn't, um, doesn't um, just kind of get fixed is the word they used. And uh, I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about, and then you mentioned, right, neurogenesis is when people discovered that the brain actually continues to process cells and stuff like that. So what was kind of, what was kind of the history of neurotherapy and, and can you talk to me a little bit about when it started becoming a thing that people began to use more in, in treatment of certain conditions? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, to back up kind of all the way to the beginning, the first EEG was recorded uh, by a, a German psychologist, I believe his, name's, his name was Hans Berger. And he, so, so the EEG is the technology that it's, the, the long name is an electroencephalogram. So that's basically the technology where there's an electrode cap that's put on your head and we're able to measure the electrical brain waves that, uh, that, basically emanate from your brain up to your, the electrical activity emanates up to your scalp. So we're able to, to detect that electrical activity of your brain in a non-invasive way with that technology. So that was kind of the beginnings of just being able to like, kind of look at the electrical activity of the brain. As we moved toward, you know, kind of went, uh, went on through the decades, uh, you know, there, there started to be say like, um, you know, electroconvulsive therapy was kind of maybe the, the sort of origins of, you could say, some of this neuromodulation work, you know, where you're working to alter the electrical activity of the brain, you know, that was done, you know, to treat, you know, intractable depression, and it still is used, you know, in rare cases today, it's not the first line treatment, but that was something that they, they found, you know, pretty good efficacy for, but it was delivering a very high dosage of electricity, which resulted in a lot of side effects. So like, such as like memory loss, confusion, um, and pretty, you know, sometimes it lasted, you know, you know, I don't want to say necessarily permanently, but in some cases people did have kind of prolonged, these prolonged side effects. So, you know, continue through the decades, you know, we get to I'm not sure exactly when this was. I want to say maybe the 1970s or 80s when we, we start seeing TMS being used. So transcranial magnetic stimulation 
is something that's still used today to treat usually depression or some types of uh, some pain disorders, I believe. And then we also have this kind of neurostimulation uh, where and, and neurofeedback that all kind of, I would say, started maybe around that same time too. And as, as we've kind of, uh, you know, gotten more and more adept with refining this technology, it's, it's just become better and better. So, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's, it's, we, we, we know kind of that we can use a much lower intensity of electricity, but still get all of the benefits, if not more that, you know, people were getting back when they were giving these massive kind of shocks with, with ECT, with electroconvulsive therapy. But now with kind of this low intensity neurostimulation that I work with people, you know, don't have usually any side effects. You know, if, if someone hasn't drank enough water that day, they might get a mild headache, but that's about it. So it's something that, uh, you know, I think just with kind of with any industry, you know, as you, as you have, you know, more technology and, you know, it just becomes more refined, better and better. So that's, that's kind of a history, I, I guess, of mm. kind of this, this whole neuromodulation world. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, um, that's great. And then just how it's, it's must be seen as very safe now. Like, it, like you said, no, no side effects. So probably it's easier to, explain to people how effective it can be when like when you're treating or not treat when you're helping them especially your client base so i mean you'd you'd be surprised though how many people still like uh especially at the addiction facility that i was working at you know when i would do an orientation with them explaining what neurotherapy is oftentimes one of the first questions i would get even before i started talking was you know are you going to be shocking my brain you know is this like mm. people still have mm. that when they think of neurostimulation, their, their, their first thought goes to like electroconvulsive therapy, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there, there definitely still is that sort of misconception that that's what it still is today, even though it's, it's, you know, it's still using electricity, but it's, it's a much different dosage, which results in, you know, as, as we've been talking about way fewer side effects and, you know, you're able to retain the benefits without paying as much of a price. It's kind of a sidetrack. I want to veer off to for a second. So in, um, in rehab, we use electricity to stimulate muscle contractions and kind of the motor units, I guess would be the right term how is that's that's completely different from like the type of cell i guess or the type of um signal that's firing i guess is is different when you stimulate the brain versus when you're stimulating muscle contraction is that yeah i does that make sense it does i mean i'm not i'm not it's been a a little while since i took an anatomy and physiology course um, mm-hmm. learning about how, how muscles fire, but, you know, the whole body is, is electrical. So in the yeah. same way that, you know, the, the electrical activities are, you know, resulting in the contractions that take place in, in muscles that, you know, it's, it's that same elect- electrical activity that takes place in the brain, as far as how, you know, uh, uh, 
this the stimulation actually uh, kind of affects that, I would say there's probably a much different mechanism because when you're, you know, say stimulating the brain, it's it's you, like if you're stimulating my understanding, like if you use like an electrical stimulation device for a muscle, like it might mm -hmm. kind of jolt, you know, might, might make the muscle like move really quickly or something. Uh, whereas with the brain, we're, we're more so uh, guiding the electrical frequencies that are kind of creating our whole, you know, our thoughts, uh, ideas, beliefs, behaviors, you know, our whole kind of consciousness, you know, if you will. So, so it's a bit, it's a bit different. I would, I mean, it, it, I see where you're going with the question and, and there definitely is, you know, uh, a comparison there that I think is valid, but, but I'd say also at the same time, pretty, um, pretty different too. Yeah, I can see that guy, guy, like how you put that guiding the electrical frequencies. It's like, like a gentle, a gentle nudge versus like, all right, let's get this fist to plunge right now. <laughs> you know, exactly. So, yep. Okay. That helps my understanding. Um, so in terms of why someone might want to use these technologies to let's say uh, help with mental uh, disorders and stuff like that. And I know that's not currently the work that you're in. Would there be in terms of it being an effective treatment for that? Um, would there be a certain level of intensity it, it needs like that condition needs to be in order for this to be like like you you were mentioned before like how some of those treatments like weren't the first line of defense for for helping out so would there be a level of intensity needed to want to have it in the conversation to begin with or is it just one of the along with therapy or along with meditation is it just one of those things that can help so you're talking about like the kind of like the dosage of electricity, like the intensity, or I guess I'm talking about like neuro, like neurofeedback or, mm -hmm. um, in, in general, like using it, using that tool. Um, is there, does it like, is it automatically in the question as just another thing in the toolbox or is there something where you, you'd look at it and say, Oh, this person needs that, you know? I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I would say, you know, definitely these technologies, I think can probably, you know, benefit everyone, you know, mm -hmm. there's certain, there's certain things that they just enhance that, you know, and that the, hence why we're starting to see the usage of these technologies in, in peak performance settings, such as what I'm doing with my company. But, you know, when it comes to uh, kind of knowing, knowing what would be like, say a good protocol or, or what, you know, a good, a good technology to use for a certain person, it's really important that people get uh, what's called a brain map done, which is, is basically uh, a QEEG, so a quantified EEG. It basically is just the, the computer takes the raw EEG data, the raw brainwave data that will show up on the computer is just these little squiggly lines. And it'll actually transform that into these images that are known as brain maps. So it's basically like these 2D visualized images of the electrical activity of the brain. So we're then able to see, okay, this person, 
you know, is, is producing healthy amounts of, you know, delta, theta, alpha, but they have, you know, deficient, they're, they're not producing enough beta brainwaves in their prefrontal cortex, which is going to, you know, impair their ability to focus and concentrate. So say we were given that information, then we might be able to then know, okay, we could, we could do a neurostimulation protocol specifically stimulating the prefrontal cortex in that beta brainwave frequency. So that might work really well for that individual, but all the work I would, I do, I would say is very highly individualized based on, you know, what is going on, you know, uh, you know, Greg, your, you know, neurophysiology is going to be different than mine and a protocol that might work well for me might not work as well for you and, and vice versa. So that's why it's so important. We, we get the brain map done and then it's able to then tell us, okay, you know, this person needs more of these faster, faster beta waves in, in the front part of their brain, or no, they actually need, we actually need to slow down the brain. We need to stimulate these alpha and beta brain waves because this person's dealing with a lot of anxiety and OCD and, and ruminations. So we need to calm the brain, stimulate some of the slower brain waves. So it's, it's definitely, I'd say, you know, everyone can benefit in some way from the technology, but we need to have that brain map as an assessment to know what to, to do for each person, how to uh, help each person best. So Toby, we've talked a lot about the different technologies and some of the history of neurofeedback and where all of these things kind of fall in terms of treating, you know, mental health conditions. And then specifically now to what you do, which is working on peak performance. And I've learned a little bit about what some of these technologies are. Now I would like to sort of dive into uh, some of the specifics. And I was thinking about myself starting up school next week and how oftentimes I'll be preparing for a test and, or, or, uh, getting ready to study, getting my homework done and, um, the different, different circumstances arise. And I'm not always able to retain information. And, and when, when it comes to being able to perform for the test, I'm usually pretty good, but I think a lot of students have problems sometimes when it comes to like learning information and actually keeping it in their brain. Um, so I was, I was wondering if there's a specific uh, neurotechnology that you've worked with in your research, whether or not clients have come to you or not, if they're students, uh, is there a specific technology to help individuals kind of optimize their, their performance when studying so that they actually learn and keep information for longer? Yes. So that's, that's a great question. And one that I will first sort of answer by talking about um, one of the, one of the brain waves um, before we actually get into the specific technologies, one of the brain waves that's super important for, um, for actually um, kind of processing uh, processing information and actually being able to, to sort of get that information into uh, long-term memory is theta. So theta, theta is one of the slower brain waves. It's, it's kind of 
what neuroscientists describe as sort of the bridge between kind of the conscious and unconscious uh, mind. It's, it's kind of a, a twilight sort of dreamy state between waking and sleep, but theta is actually where a lot of, uh, a lot of memory consolidation is taking place. So making sure that um, people are producing sufficient amounts of theta or sometimes uh, working to entrain uh, theta uh, brainwaves can be super helpful for, for boosting memory. Um, I would say as far as uh, your question for a specific technology, I would tend to, to go towards audiovisual entrainment, um, which uh, is, is short, uh, the shortened version of that is just called AVE, um, stands for audiovisual entrainment. And what that is basically doing is, is pulsing um, uh, tones into the ears and then along with pulsing uh, kind of a strobing light into the eyes. So you're basically wearing these glasses you've got headphones on and you're basically, uh, so, so it's basically in training you into a specific brainwave pattern um, with uh, the use of, of the light and sound. So it's, it's being pulsed at a specific frequency. So your brain then entrains to that rhythm. So for instance, if you wanted to entrain say alpha waves, alpha waves, uh, one of the alpha frequencies is, is 10 Hertz. So that's 10 cycles per second. So if you flash, if you have the pulsing light, um, flashing 10 times per second and the audio tones getting pulsed 10 times per second, that is going to actually entrain your brain into that alpha brainwave state. So with this technology, there's, there's a lot of different, uh, different frequencies and protocols that you can do. Uh, but what's really cool about the, the one that I use, uh, the, the company that I, that I use the audiovisual entrainment through uh, Mind Alive, they've designed specific uh, protocols that are, that are actually targeting, that are actually designed uh, for students uh, to boost learning and memory. So they have one called, uh, called Brain Booster, and it's basically, uh, it's, it's designed to enhance mental functioning and memory along with learning. And it's, it's based off specific research done by a neuroscientist that found that these specific frequencies, basically, um, you're basically in training the, the left hemisphere of the brain uh, to kind of a slower uh, beta rhythm uh, between 10 to 14 hertz. And then the right hemisphere is getting entrained to a bit faster of a beta rhythm between 10 to 19 hertz. And what that is, is doing the, it's basically, so it's speeding up the right hemisphere of the brain a little faster than the left. And they've seen with, with studies that that is really beneficial for, for learning and memory. So that's definitely one I think, uh, you know, I really like to use and one that is awesome for people who, you know, are say taking a break from studying, you know, and then, uh, you know, it can help them kind of consolidate that information quicker. Um, but also just making sure that people, you know, if you're a student listening to this, making sure that you factor in, you know, sufficient periods for sleep, you know, sleep is when a lot of your, your memory reconsolidation is taking place. And they found that even, even short naps can significantly boost your memory retention. So if you're, 
you know, making the decision between, you know, uh, cramming all night, staying up all night to study for a test and then, you know, running off a couple hours of sleep, trying to take that test the next day, you know, that might honestly not be the best strategy when it comes to what we know about the brain where, you know, if we, so much of your memory reconsolidation is taking place during sleep. So even, you know, even if you're not able to get a full night sleep, just taking a quick nap, you know, in between study sessions can be super helpful at actually making sure that you retain whatever information that you're, that you're learning. Cause there's a transition that, you know, you need to be able to take that, that information that you're studying and actually uh, kind of solidify those memories so that you can recall them at a later point. So you would say that between study sessions is the best time to take these short naps? Yeah, I would say so. And, and a cool kind of hack that I learned was uh, what's called like a, a coffee, uh, like a coffee nap where basically you, um, you chug, say chug like a, a cold brew or, or iced coffee. And so caffeine takes about like 20, 25 minutes to actually get metabolized. So if you do that and then take a nap, you don't have to set an alarm or anything the caffeine, it's going to kick in and naturally wake you up in about 20, 25 minutes. That's so and, cool. Yeah. And so you're going to get the benefits of, of the nap uh, to help with the memory consolidation and then the caffeine to actually help with the alertness and, and jolt you out of whatever sort of haziness that, you know, might be left over from that nap. So that's when I definitely employed significantly during my, my own college days. That's funny because I was going to ask you about that. Sometimes if I wake up after a nap, I often feel a little bit more groggy and I don't know whether or not it's actually because I have not yet utilized that coffee nap trick. And that sounds like it would be pretty cool, but, and, and effective. But I was wondering about that. Like if someone wakes up after a nap and they're a little bit more tired is that is that normal or is um is there like you know you're, you're saying short nap is there like an optimal time for you to take a nap so that even if you do wake up and you're a little bit hazy it's not really gonna cause brain fog i guess i wish there was a clear answer to that question and i think that's that's something that's still kind of up for debate as far as I, I know some people are saying, you know, don't take naps longer than 30 minutes. Some people are saying uh, the optimal time for a nap is like 45 minutes or something. So I've heard kind of conflicting uh, evidence, but yeah, I, I think honestly, when it comes down to that, it probably is just, you know, whatever, whatever works best for you. I mean, I've, I've personally, I've been able to take like two hour naps, you know, in the late afternoon and still be able to sleep fine at my normal time that night. But I know other people who, you know, they would be up all night if they took a two hour nap during the day. So I think it really just comes down to what, you know, trial and error and see what, what works for, for your own kind of biology. Thanks for listening to sets and reps. Here's a word from last week's guest in case you missed it. Somebody comes in with an injury. They're not always I mean, they might be complaining of back pain, but their major complaint is, is that they can't do something that they used to be able to do, right? So we have to be able to understand 
that thing that they can't be they can't do anymore and deconstruct that instead of really knowing everything we can know about the body part that they're complaining about and that's where i think in my experience and this again it's like 15 years ago where the education process is a little limited for physical therapists but it's 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 there in the continuing education world quite a bit so it's just a matter of like how much do you want to learn outside of your formal schooling and I'm sure other professions are like that too, where you, you kind of get a base in your education in school, but then, you know, you, you have to learn outside of school or you're, right. you're going to be average or maybe sometimes below average, like if you're not learning afterwards. So when talking about the audiovisual entrainment is that something you would specifically select after you have done a qeeg with a person which is what you talked about the the brain mapping and i yeah and after and after like what my question basically is what would you see on that brain map that would that would make you uh select that specific tool and i know you talked about the theta waves. I was wondering if there's anything else on there. Yeah. So, so ideally we would definitely do a brain map before, before employing any of these tools. Um, you don't have to, but as I was you know, saying before, as we, we talked about earlier in our conversation, it's, you know, a bit like shooting in the dark when, when we don't have the brain map and we're just trying out different technologies and different frequencies. So, um, you know, oftentimes the, the sort of brainwave frequencies that, um, that are deficient, we can work to actually stimulate with the, say, you know, technology like audiovisual entrainment, if we're seeing deficiencies, say, in beta brainwaves, which are really important for focus and concentration. Um, like I was just talking about those, uh, those protocols that are specifically designed to, to boost, boost beta brainwaves a little a uh, little bit of a lower frequency on the left hemisphere compared to the right. But, you know, that, that is something we might, we might see that on a brain map. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, there, there's so many different frequencies for all these technologies that the brain map really helps us show, you know, okay, you know, the brain uh, person's brain might be doing just fine at producing, you know, the majority of the electrical frequencies but it might just be, you know, one of them that they're not producing in sufficient quantities, whether that's underproduction or overproduction. And when we know what brainwave frequency that is, we can then work, you know, with, with really any of these technologies to work on, on stimulating that frequency. As far as, you know, when I might kind of choose audiovisual entrainment uh, compared to the other technologies, I would say, I would honestly say that it's, it's kind of just a good, uh, a good, I don't want to say necessarily an add-on component, but uh, kind of an ancillary technology that, you know, I like to kind of focus um, most of my work um, on either like neurofeedback or neurostimulation. But, you know, um, if, if we're able to throw in, say, an audiovisual entrainment session, you know, maybe, maybe before or after uh, doing neurofeedback or neurostimulation, that can be really beneficial. So it's really about just kind of uh, 
you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of an art and a science, you know, as far as like creating these protocols. So I was, I was working under uh, one of the top uh, guys in the field of, of neuromodulation, Dr. Nicholas Dogris. Uh, he, and, and basically, so I was kind of learning just all about different protocol creation from him. And he, he does some really interesting things with stacking, you know, these technologies doing, doing, uh, something called uh, PEMF, which is like pulsed electromagnetic frequency, um, which is one that I don't employ yet, but basically doing that while you're doing neurostimulation and you can actually do neurofeedback at the same time as you're doing those. So it's, there's some really cool ways that you can stack these different technologies and, and kind of, you know, just see what works best, but yeah, it's basically, you know, the same way that, you know, you might, you might, uh, when you go to the gym, you might, you know, do, you know, uh, certain free weight exercises, you might use the machines for something, you might, you know, hop on the treadmill, at some point, you might, you know, kind of mix it up. And I think that's, you know, somewhat of a similar approach with the brain. Yeah, sounds like it. That's cool. I, I really like that idea. And because all these technologies are very safe, like, st- stacking all of those um, components at one time doesn't seem like it would uh, doesn't seem like there would be like a with anything I'm sure there's there's a point to where it gets to be too much but I'm sure obviously with the with researchers and people that know what they're talking about they would know where those limits are so that's great and I I listened to that podcast episode with um, Dr. Dogris and that was very interesting um it must be, must be super cool to have a conversation with someone like that. And you said you had worked with him previously, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I would just pick his brain at every chance I got to, yeah, because it's, it's super fascinating to just learn from someone who's been, you know, working with these technologies, you know, for, for 20, 30 years and has, because that's, that's really, you know, what you want to, to sort of learn from people that, that have that much experience in working with this tech, you know, cause there's not many people that, that have that same level of experience. You know, a lot of, a lot of this technology is still relatively new, or at least the usage is relatively new. So, you know, a lot of practitioners are still, you know, they, they may have got this stuff a few years ago or, you know, so it's rare to find people who've actually been using it for decades. So it was really cool kind of, being, being able to learn from him, one of the, one of the real experts in the field. I would recommend everyone check out that episode as well. If if some of the topics discussed in this episode interest you, Um, I want to take it back to the kind of the process of, of, of the sessions here that take place with your clients. And I feel like I have an idea of what the first session looks or first couple of sessions look like when it comes to doing the brain mapping and then selecting the device based on what someone's deficient in or uh, what, what their goals are. But in general terms, whether it's just for audio visual entrainment or some of the other ones, what, what, how do you know if progress is being made? And yeah, basically uh, what, what are, what are some things, you know, you keep track of, or how do you, how do you determine how many sessions that person needs as well? So it definitely depends on what 
we're working to, you know, what, what the client's goals are, you know, if they're working, if they're really focused on improving their attention, then I'm going to, you know, then we're going to employ, you know, different questionnaires and, and measures to track attention. Um, and in addition to that, what we always do is, is follow up brain mapping. So, you know, just like it's, so it's a, it's a great initial assessment tool to see, where the brain's at before we do any sort of neuromodulation work. But then, you know, as we, as we do, as we start going through the sessions, it's really awesome to be able to do follow-up brain maps to actually track how say a specific protocol is actually affecting the brain. So usually uh, it depends kind of on the individual and, you know, kind of the frequency of the training, but, I like to do between kind of uh, five to every kind of five to 10 sessions, be able to do a follow-up brain map. And then we can see, you know, I can have a conversation with the client and see just how they're feeling, see if whatever protocol that, you know, I have them on, see whether that is, is working from that working for them just with kind of what they're self-reporting, but then also seeing how that's biologically affecting, uh, the electrical patterns that their brain's producing and seeing, you know, I think that's, that's honestly one of the coolest parts of my work is where we can actually see the objective changes mm -hmm. um, where it's not just someone saying, Oh, you know, I think this is helping, but we can actually see, you know, okay, we're actually, we're actually seeing the, you know, we're these beta brain waves were deficient before. Now we're actually seeing it. They're not as deficient. You know, it's, it's, when you look at the brain maps, they're on kind of a, a continuum where it's kind of like the, uh, there's like lighter colors indicating underactivity with like the, like say solid blue is like the most severe underactivity, whereas like light blue or turquoise is like mild. So, you know, what we often will see is like, say, say someone's, you know, might start out you know, at, at a real solid blue color indicating very significant underactivity. And then say, you know, we do 10 sessions and then we're seeing, you know, okay, it's moved to more of a turquoise so that it, it we're seeing the improvement. We're seeing that this person is, is on the right direction. And that's, that's really what we're looking for um, with, with doing the follow-up brain maps to make sure that uh, you know, that it, the protocol is, is a good one for that uh, client. And, you know, if, if it's not resulting in the changes that they were hoping to achieve and we're not seeing, uh, seeing the electrical uh, data to back that up, you know, then it's time to sort of reassess and, and potentially try something different because it's definitely, it's definitely not a one size fits all approach as far as like, I might be able to take a look at a brain map and be able to have a pretty good idea of what might be a good protocol for that person. But at the same time, that, that protocol might just not end up working too great for whatever, for one reason or another. So I think that that's a big part of this is just being able to sort of, in a way, have the humility um, to be able to say, you know, okay, like what I'm doing right now, it just, just isn't really working for this person. So, you know, what, what is it that, that is not being addressed that, that we need to then address with like a future protocol. So, so being able to sort of pivot 
and adjust, I think is that's just really critical for, for anyone who does kind of the work that I do. Yeah, I can, I can feel that a little bit as well with, with training and stuff. It's similar, obviously like something's not working out. There's, you know, the humility, like you mentioned is big and then it, it, it validates what you're doing and then also validates the person in front of you too. So you can almost have that teamwork in a way to be like, okay, I'm, I'm the one that's facilitating this and it's my responsibility to kind of now redirect and, and see where we can, you know, fix this basically. So I like that. Yeah. Um, so previously in our conversation, we've talked about how you can do things like brain teasers, crossword puzzles to uh, affect long-term brain health and stave off things like Alzheimer's and other conditions like that. Um, and briefly, we've talked about things like napping. And I, and I wondered if you had any other tips for just brain health in general, like practices that people like today should regularly start doing because it's just super important to keep that supercomputer running for just as long as possible. Just like you have to keep your joints and your muscles strong, just like you have to put the right things into your body to keep everything running smoothly. How can we facilitate our brain health? Like what are some tips that you have in mind? Yeah, I would say, you know, there, there's a multitude of different kind of brain training, you know, apps and online services, you know, different websites, but, um, you know, and probably a lot of those are, are beneficial to some degree, but there's one specifically uh, called Brain HQ that I am a big fan of just because uh, there was a, a neuroscientist who, who kind of designed the, the brain training games, uh, this guy, um, Dr. Michael Mersnick, and he's one of the most well-respected, I mean, he's, he's a very well-respected neuroscientist and they actually uh, formulated, I think, this this uh, training system to originally help people with, I believe it was schizophrenia, um, but they found that it also improved a lot of other conditions. So definitely checking that out. You know, something you know as simple as as doing like sprints. You know, sprints have been shown to increase uh, one of the things we talked about uh, earlier, which is uh, a key protein called uh, brain derived neurotrophic factor that that BDNF uh, sprints, you know, just just doing quick, you know, one to two minute sprints have been shown to significantly elevate BDNF levels. So that's, that's another simple thing. I would say, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of coffee, you know, caffeine, I think is, is in general, you know, going to be pretty good for the brain as long as you're not drinking it too late in the day and messing up your sleep patterns. But, you know, just when it comes to just an alertness, uh, attention, um, for reaction time, I mean, caffeine, caffeine really is, uh, kind of one of the best, I would say kind of smart drugs or, you know, brain enhancers. Also, one of the things that has kind of gotten more attention in the past, I want to say maybe like five, years is is using nicotine uh so nicotine people probably know as you know being the addictive substance that's that's found in you know tobacco products you know cigarettes but you can actually take you can remove nicotine from tobacco you know it's not you don't have to 
smoke a cigarette um, to get that nicotine. So, you know, using say like, uh, say, you know, that you can get like uh, nicotine lozenges or nicotine gum, they even have uh, patches and they've, they've shown a lot of really good uh, effects in research studies. They're looking at that for treating different neurodegenerative conditions, I believe like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, also, they're showing just improvements in things like ADHD uh, with these patches. I think the patches are generally what they're, they're using in the studies, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, you know, playing around with, with nicotine, um, can be really beneficial. I mean, I, I certainly found that, you know, when, when I was doing my undergrad, I would, I would start just, uh, you know, each morning I would start with just a cup of black coffee and I would put, you know, one of these, uh, nicotine lozenges kind of right, right where you would put like dip, you know, right kind of, uh, in between, you know, sort of your lip and, and your teeth. And, uh, I would just notice, you know, significant improvements in my ability to, to be, you know, I wouldn't be spacing out, you know, at, at a lecture, I would just be able to be like fully, fully present the whole time without sort of noticing my mind wandering. So, so nicotine is, is a super powerful tool, I think that people could play around with. Uh, those are, those are some of the basics. I would say if, you know, if people are really, uh, if listeners are really wanting to, you know, do, do a real deep dive in terms of kind of, uh, improving their brain, you know, there's, there are definitely different like nootropic, uh, smart drug compounds. Well, we talked about a couple caffeine and nicotine are, are in that class of yeah. uh, compounds, but, uh, you know, there, there's some more, uh, there's, there's a class of, uh, Russian smart drugs uh, called the racetams, uh, which so there's there's like paracetam, which is the original uh, original one, but then they have kind of stronger derivatives of that, like aniracetam, or the one that I like the best is one called phenylparacetam, and that it definitely has kind of a, a a strong kind of stimulant effect, somewhat somewhat similar to to Adderall, but it's one that is actually shown to be um, helpful for, for the brain long-term, whereas something like Adderall, you know, might be, might be good in, in the short term, but generally is not going to be good for, for someone's long-term brain health. But what's really cool about some of these, these different smart drugs is they're actually, they're, 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 they boost brain performance, but along with that, they're actually neuroprotective. So mm. they're actually, they're actually helping, you know, protect the brain from, different, uh, you know, different, different injuries, uh, you know, later on. So yeah, those, those are some of the things that come to mind. Would you recommend these for, with these nootropics, would you recommend taking them kind of as someone might take, uh, like a multivitamin, like in the morning with breakfast, like is, is just kind of in pill form best way to consume that? Um, there's, you can do it in pills. There's also, um, you know, the, uh, powders, you know, I, I don't necessarily have, have a strong say as far as, uh, you know, which might be better, but, um, definitely pay attention to whether these things are fat soluble. So, so, you know, a lot of like vitamins, like, uh, you know, are, are fat soluble, uh, along with some of these smart drugs. So if you consume them with a fat source, whether, you know, whether that's, you know, half an avocado, 
you know, or, you know, like say, you know, MCT oil or coconut oil, um, can straight up olive oil, <laughs> straight up all, I mean, you could, I mean it, it, but seriously consuming some of these things that are fat soluble, mm-hmm. uh, with a fat source is going to significantly enhance your, your body's ability to absorb them. That's kind of like taking a protein with, with a carb it's, is, uh, is kind of how I've gone about with nutritional advice and stuff like that to have those things absorb a little bit better. Okay. Right. And along with that, just people should also most likely just track how, how they feel with it. Right. Because at the end of the day, if they're not receiving any benefit for whatever reason, maybe it's, maybe it's not the right thing for them. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I would completely, I, yeah, you know, there it's, it's interesting with sort of the racetams, the, those Russian smart drugs that I was just talking about, where there's certain ones that like people people experience really good benefits on and then other ones that you know you might not notice any effect on so for me i notice a really good effect from from phenylparacetam and taking like paracetam or aniracetam or there's another one called nupept that a lot of people like i don't feel a single thing i couldn't tell you whether i was taking it not taking it it does absolutely nothing for me whereas phenylparacetam i notice a strong uh, beneficial effect. So, and you know why that is, I, I don't think anyone can really tell you yet. You know, there, there's just, yeah. it, our, our unique neurophysiology is going to, you know, result in, in some of these, uh, some of these kind of, uh, mind hacks, you know, working better than others. So, so definitely just paying attention exactly to, you know, what you're, what you're saying, Greg, as far as just you know, kind of tracking what, what works, what doesn't, if people want to be, you know, objective about it, uh, you know, you can do certain, um, certain brain, uh, tests trying to think of, uh, there's like the old, the old one was quantified self, um, which allowed you to, um, do like different, basically different brain games. And then you can like enter in, uh, you know, kind of like what you took that day. So you can do different, like, you know, you can do a, a test, say, uh, where you do the same brain training game for like 10 days in a row without, you know, whatever it is that you're, you know, going to try. And then say you want to experiment with phenylparacetam, then you, you do 10 days of phenylparacetam and take that, that, those same tests. And then it'll give you an objective, you know, here's, here's, you know, different facets of cognition. Here's how your attention is, your memory, your this, your that. And then you can see objectively, okay, did this result in any significant improvements? So that's really cool to be able to, to track, track kind of results that way. Oh yeah. I'm writing some of these things down, like the, the brain test and the, um, the nootropics. Cause I feel like I want to try to start taking some of those things today because i i've had not really looked into them that much um but i feel like they could be a really beneficial um thing to to add into your life especially if you're one of those people that kind of wants that that edge and gaining gaining an edge like you like you had recommended kind of seeing that in some of the people that you work with so there's a few there's a few others too that i should mention which you know, uh, so, you know, something as simple as like fish oil, 
fish yeah. oil has been shown to really boost a lot of different aspects of cognition. Um, one that I think you'll you'll find interesting is is actually creatine. So you know, mm. creatine's gained a lot more attention, you know, in, in sort of the bodybuilding, uh, you know, athletic community, but they've actually seen some really interesting effects that, that creatine has on the brain um, in the same way that uh, the creatine, I believe like sort of uh, enhances your, uh, your sort of endurance on, you know, different sort of athletic things. It also enhances kind of your brain's endurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of, if you're doing like a brain training game, uh, creatine has been shown to actually like help you sort of, be uh be able to sort of pay attention um for longer uh so so that's a really cool one um what was the oh uh ginkgo biloba is another one that's that's it's found in a lot of uh you know kind of uh, brain enhancing supplement formulations but you know you can just take it take it on its own too and that's that's you know i think a very well researched one that that significantly enhances blood flow to the brain and basically you know any anything in general that you can do to enhance blood flow to the brain is is usually going to be very beneficial because pretty much uh you know any any condition uh is you know whether that be neurodegenerative or or just psychiatric or neurological oftentimes it's kind of the result of a, a deficiency uh of of blood flow to the brain Toby, it's been it's been a real honor uh, being able to kind of uh, get a look inside your brain to uh, to provide a lot of value in this episode, and I'm really looking forward to kind of releasing it for my listeners. And uh, to to wrap up today, I had a final question about uh, some of these videos I've been seeing a lot of my YouTube recommended, and I actually have been trying them for myself recently, and I don't quite know how effective they are. But I feel like it falls along the lines a little bit with the audio visual entrainment because I see these videos like music to boost your sleep or music to boost your focus. And just by looking at some of the descriptions in those videos, you see things like it, it sometimes it'll actually tell you like, all right, this video is 11 hours long. These are the frequencies you'll be hearing then at this point you'll be hearing these frequencies and then you'll be hearing these frequencies like right before you wake up. Do you know anything about how effective those are and whether or not there's a way to, to best use them? Um, like whether it's, cause I imagine like it's probably best to use them like with headphones, even, but you know, in terms of whether or not they're actually effective using the work that you've done and what you've seen with, with what I feel like is similar technology similar ideas with that how effective do you feel like that is it's it's a question that that i've pondered myself quite a lot you know because i've seen the exact same videos that i know exactly what you're talking about and you know whether they actually are stimulating the frequencies that they're claiming to i don't know and i don't know that there's a way that i mean i guess the only way you could really test that is you know potentially doing you know, if you had like an EEG and you're able to actually measure if someone's brainwaves are changing, I mean, that, that'd be a super interesting experiment. Yeah. But the, the basic technology, I believe that those, those different um, sort of audio tracks are employing 
is something uh, uh, called binaural beats, where they're uh, so so. It's actually that that is a, a real thing that they know that by pulsing uh, different di different tones into each ear at specific frequencies, you can entrain the electrical rhythms of the brain, uh, you know, uh, to to a different frequency. So. There's, there are companies, there, there's a specific company I know of uh, called Holosync. That's spelled like H-O-L-O-Sync, S-Y-N-C. And that's one that they actually make, you know, um, legitimate binaural beats that you actually know, you know, exactly what frequency you're getting. There's, you know, ones that you can listen to that are going to put you in a super deep sort of meditative trance, you know, that it's going to be almost impossible to stay awake for. There's other ones that, that you can use as you're studying to, uh, to kind of, you know, put you in that kind of flow state where you're just really absorbing a lot of information quickly. So it's definitely a legit technology, but I'm just unsure of whether, you know, those sort of YouTube videos that you're talking about, whether, whether they're actually what, you know, whoever made those, whether, you know, there's actually, uh, whether those people actually knew what they were doing. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, a legit technology, but YouTube might not, might not be the best, best way to access that. But, but for people who, you know, I, I, I I've, I've gotten a lot of questions about that, you know, just from friends and mm. uh, people who've seen those. And, and so, that that technology binaural beats, you know, is a legitimate thing. And I definitely encourage people to, you know, to read about it and, you know, look for, look for sources of that, that, that might be kind of more, uh, more science backed than, than just the YouTube tracks. Perfect. That's, that's a great recommendation. Thank you. Um, and I, I do appreciate that because it could just be like some, music producer like putting putting some kind of like long form vibration in there and then just saying whatever but uh exactly yeah i guess i guess the power of placebo is is great for a lot of people so very true very whatever, true whatever floats your boat right but yeah that holosync sounds like a really good uh resource to get to get what you're actually looking for if someone wants to kind of uh dive into binaural beats so Appreciate that, man. Well, Toby, it's been um, been great having you here on the Sets and Reps podcast. Please um, take a second and like let the know let the people know where they can find you um, on all platforms, and uh, make sure to to let them know about your podcast and all that as well. For sure. Well, and and I just wanted to really you know thank you, Greg, for you know having me on the show, and thank you for all your your insightful questions. Um, for people listening who want to uh, who want to connect, you can uh, you can follow me or follow Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro on Instagram at Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. Uh, you can also connect with us on Twitter at uh, Wetsuit Podcast. Uh, the website is www.roscoeswetsuitneuro.com, and if you go to that website, uh, you can actually uh, um, there's a couple of things on there. You, I mean, you can read all about the different technologies that we've been talking about. You can also uh, put your information in to subscribe to our newsletter, and then you'll actually receive a free 
uh, six steps to better cognitive performance PDF, um, where you can find different, uh, different little tips and tricks there um, that'll get sent to you in an email. And also uh, for, for the listeners of the show, I created a, a special code. Um, you can use uh, sets 21. So SETS 21 uh, to receive 15% off your first uh, neuro health coaching session. So neuro health coaching is, is one of the services that I offer if people are, are really wanting to do a deep dive with me and talk about, you know, using nutrition, supplementation, exercise, uh, nootropics, any of these things that uh, we've been talking about today. Uh, if you want to actually uh, receive coaching and, and have me kind of walk you through the process, uh, you can use that code sets 21 to receive 15% off your first session. Damn, man. Um, That's awesome. That's great. I'm going to have to link all that in the, in the show description. That's awesome. Um, and uh, I'll, you know, include that in the intro as well. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, is that all caps or, or just lowercase? Sets yeah. All, all, caps, all caps, all caps. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, Toby, I um, just to encourage you to keep pressing on and in, in the work that you're doing. And I really cannot wait to see, uh, Roscoe's wetsuit neuro kind of grow and, and, um, just hope to continue to have people like you come around to, um, encourage others to just learn about ways that they can keep their brain healthy and strong and, uh, and just looking forward to seeing you at the forefront, hopefully of the research here that brings everything forward. So absolutely. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks again.